Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Well, we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning, and we're just going to take a a little uh, detour here from uh, what we've been studying out of the the book of Philippians, but... uh, I wanted to uh, take some time uh, during the month here of December because I believe there's some important things for us to learn and to remember about uh, who Christ is and um, you know what, what the Word of God teaches us about uh, Christ's coming, the prophecies of Christ. And there's one thing that you need to understand, and that is how important doctrine is to the life of the church and how important it is for us as believers, um, how important that doctrine is. And you know, the truth is that all of us hold to some form of doctrine in our lives, whether you realize it or not. The problem with that, however, is that if what you believe does not line up with the authority and the truthfulness of God's word, then you are in error. Your doctrine is in error. And so that's why we always must go back to the authority of God's word, what it teaches, what it says, and we must examine what we believe in light of the truthfulness of God's word. And if what we believe does not line up with God's word, we are the ones that are in error, not God's word. And so this month here, I want to spend some time at looking at some of these very important doctrines that are recorded to us concerning about who Christ is, what he's done, um, his birth, uh, a lot of these prophecies that uh, we have concerning who Christ is. And you know, it's interesting that the truths about the prophecies of Christ, the message of the gospel that we find recorded for us in the word of God, there are over about 300 prophecies concerning just alone about the birth of Christ, the fact that he would come. Now, we can't spend all the time looking at each one of those, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus in on some very specific ones as uh, we're gonna see here. And so this one here in Genesis 3, uh, this one might or might not be very familiar to you, but uh, it's found here in Genesis 3. And in this chapter, we have recorded for us the historical fact of the origin of sin, where it came from, how it happened, the result of its effect upon the world. But in the midst of this catastrophic event that took place here Uh, In Genesis 3, God in his wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, brings us and shows us hope for humanity. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Where sin increased, grace increased. That's recorded for us uh, in the book of Romans, but where sin increased, grace increased. So let's look at this awesome text here in Genesis uh, 3, and you can follow along with me, beginning here in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field 
that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. First thing that I want you to understand about what God does in all of this is that God always gives hope. God always gives hope. The book of Genesis is so foundational to everything else that we find in the word of God. And so if you have people that discount the, the uh, historical accuracy and the facts that are found in the book of Genesis, then basically what you're doing is you're throwing out everything that is foundational that we find throughout the worst of the word of God. And so what we must remember is that what is recorded for us here in the book of Genesis is a historical fact, this is not something that's made up. This isn't a fairy tale or, or some good uh, uh, bedtime story. This is historical recorded fact for us as where the origin of sin came from and what God has done to provide hope uh, through all of that. And so salvation and redeeming God's grace is based upon fact. My salvation that I have in Christ is not based upon some high in the pie, I hope so type of myth. It's based upon historical recorded fact and the truthfulness of God's word. So let's just put this chapter in its context so we know where we're going Chapter one and chapter two tells us about the creation of God and what he's done and how he spoke the world, the worlds as we know it into creation, uh, into existence. And, and we see him uh, saying, let there be light. And in six 24 hour literal days, God has finished all of his work. And he sums all of that up 
with a phrase, and he says, it was very good. Everything that he created, it was very good. All the trees, all the life, all the stars, all, everything that he created, and he says, it is very good. And so everything in his created world was good at that point. But here in chapter three, everything goes bad, <laughs> extremely bad. I mean, it's a train wreck, carnage. Everything just seems to fall apart. And all the human beings who will ever walk on this earth are affected by what happened. Uh, as we find what records here in Genesis uh, chapter three. It is the explanation of why things in this world are the way that they are. It's the reason why there's so much evil, why there is so much sin, why there's so much corruption, why there is disease, deformity, and death, why there's conflict and hatred and war, and why there are disasters of all kind that fall upon man. It all comes from this chapter here in Genesis chapter 3. And within this passage here, we have what is known as the fall, this historical recorded fact of the fall. And there's much to say that we could say about all of this. You know, the fact that Adam and Eve were living in a perfect world, in a state of innocence, free from sin, until they fell to the temptations of Satan. And we find them questioning what God said. They question his goodness and his wisdom. Adam's result of disobeying God was their fall. And as a result of that, the entire race was plunged into sin. And so their first impulse is to do what? To hide from God. Nothing's changed. Is that not what we still do? We try to hide from God. Here they are, they were, uh, God knows what has happened and he starts calling unto them. And what have they done? They're hiding in the trees <laughs> as if God can't see them. What else do they do? Boy, they take uh, fig leaves and they sew them together, try to cover up their nakedness. God knows. They make excuses for their sin. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. No one is willing to own up or take responsibility. It's the same thing that we still do today. Suddenly, paradise isn't so beautiful anymore, is it? Eden was ruined by the entrance of sin. Now, take note specifically here at verse number 14, because look what he says. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your body you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And so as God is surveying this, this wreckage of the fall that has happened, he immediately begins to pass sentence and judgment, and he begins where sin began. He begins with the serpent. Now from what we can see here within the text, we understand that this serpent was Satan himself. Satan had fallen from heaven and he came down to earth and I'm sure he was pretty upset and he's going to destroy all of God's creation. And so what does he do? He tempts Eve, he deceives her. And then you know the rest of the story, what happens. But here he deals with Satan himself. Later on, he will talk to Eve, and he will talk to, to Adam about their, their problems that they had, their, their, uh, their sentencing. 
and he will pass judgment upon them, but God passes judgment on the serpent here for his part in the fall of humanity. Notice these things. First, look what he tells them. He says, first, he's cursed above every other animal. Think about that. Did you know that the serpent is cursed above every other animal? Still to this day, it's cursed. Then he says this, second, he'll crawl on his belly forever. Well, that ought to tell us something that at one point, <laughs> these serpents used to be able to walk. I kind of think of like that, uh, uh, you ever see that Geico commercial? You know, the little gecko guy, and he's talking, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, God says, now you will crawl on your belly forever. Third, here's, this, here's the third part of this. He'll eat dust all the days of his life. Where do snakes dwell and live and, and move about? In the dirt. And he says, that's how you'll live the rest of your life, in the dirt, you know, I could only imagine that Satan was thinking to himself, I've done it. I've destroyed all of your creation. I have, I have ripped it apart. It's over. It's over. But the result for him is judgment. You might be thinking, where is the hope that God provides in all of this? Well, we'll see it here in verse 15. But in order to get there, we must understand a fundamental truth. And that is our world is in denial when it comes to sin. Sin isn't something that we talk about. We know that, that to be true because look at what happened with Adam and Eve, hiding, sewing clothes, out of fig leaves, blaming. And in order for there to be hope, there must be a dire situation. This was their dire situation. They were hiding from God. They didn't want to come to face to face with the reality that they were naked before God and they were in a they were there in their shame before God because of sin. You see, when people don't see themselves as sinners, they really don't need any hope. They don't need forgiveness or grace. But see, that's what it came down to for me. <laughs> On June 26, 2002, when I realized that I was a sinner and I was in a dire situation, that I was under the wrath and the judgment of God, that I needed forgiveness, boy, grace really meant something then. Hope was there, but people that don't see themselves as sinners don't need grace. They don't need forgiveness because they don't see the dire situation that they are in. Look at verse 15, because this is where we see the hope here. Look what it says here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now look at what God says directly to Satan himself. I will put enmity between you. Who's you? That's Satan. And the woman. Who's the woman? That's Eve. What does this mean? What does this have to do with hope? You see, God knows the future and has a plan to deal with sin. In fact, he's had this, this plan even before the foundation of the world. Speaking of Christ, it says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. In all of God's wisdom and his, and his uh, understanding and uh, all, of, all of his uh, uh, eternal wisdom that he had, he has planned all of this. And so God always had a plan wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Here in Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of the gospel and grace in the entire Bible. 
It's easy to miss because the name Jesus really isn't tied to it here. We don't see it in the text, but he's there. Let me give you a theological word to describe this. This is what is known as the proto-evangelium. Proto, meaning the first or the prototype. The first evangelium, the first gospel. That's the first gospel that we have recorded for us here in Genesis 3.15. You know, one thing that brings tremendous hope is that God is sovereign, meaning that he is in control of everything. You and I or any other being heavenly or earthly can never stop or change God's plan. It's an impossibility. And so you think with me, here's here's the serpent. Here's Satan. And he's thinking, I got it now. Man, I've destroyed it. I've ruined all of creation. But guess what? Nope, didn't work. Has he destroyed God's plan? Has he destroyed God's purpose? The answer, of course, is no, he hasn't. God is still sovereign. God is still in control because look at the verse 15 again. I love this. I will. (laughs) Think about that. Here's God saying to the serpent, you think that you've destroyed this? Nope. I, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so this divine sovereignty, God is still in charge. And notice the judgment here for Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What is he saying to Satan here? Satan's thought was, I've turned Adam and Eve, the whole human race against God. And God says, I'm now going to turn the human race against you. That's what he's saying. Notice that word enmity there. It means deep animosity between moral, responsible beings. Scripture uses it of persons, and God says to Satan here, if you think you have won the entire human race and that you have turned the human race against me, he says, no. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There will come enmity from humanity towards you. You do not rule, Satan. He says, I am sovereign over all. You will not exercise complete control. You will not have the whole human race. Now, here's the hope. Don't miss this. Look at verse number 15 again. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God will enable man in his sinful condition, in his fallen condition to be so totally transformed that he will hate the serpent and love God. This will be reversed. Because see, Adam and Eve chose to love Satan and hate God. They chose to doubt God and believe Satan, but that's not permanent for the whole human race. God will enable humanity to be so transformed as to hate the serpent, hate Satan, and to love God. How on earth is that gonna happen? How would that happen? Well, in order for that to happen, there has to be a radical transformation in a person's life of radical transformation in the human heart. 
You see, this is why Christianity is not about doing do's and don'ts and trying to keep all these good rules or trying to be perfect and do this and do that. Because the truth is you can't. Because we are fallen, sinful human beings. We can't. And so there has to be a radical transformation in the heart. There has to be a change that's brought about that only comes through the message of the gospel. And that's what God is saying here to Satan. He says, I will put enmity against you. It is so profound about this change that the New Testament speaks of it as the new birth. If you know Christ, then you know that that already did happen, that there was a new birth experience when your heart has been changed now towards God. And by the way, if you are without Christ, you hate God and you love Satan. You follow Satan. You want to do what he wants you to do. You're a follower of him. You believe his lies. But those that know Christ, they love God. They want to follow God. They recognize the lies and they want to follow Christ. You see, there's been a change if you know Christ because now we love God and we hate Satan. And this has been a result of God redeeming man from his sin to making him a new creation in Christ. And so God is saying that this will happen. So from here, we see this gospel, we see this good news. And what an awesome thing to think about that all of this was put into plan even before any of this happened. God already knew that this was gonna happen because remember, he is sovereign. He is in control over all. It gets better because see, this is actually the promise of a savior here. Look at the text here again in verse number 15. This is just an amazing prophecy because look what he says here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The enmity will, between, will be between Satan and the woman. And the woman here is Eve herself. God says out of Eve, out of her offspring, there will be enmity between her offspring and your offspring, Satan's offspring. Other translations use the word seed, and I actually like that, uh, that reading better. Um, so in other words, out of Eve will come a race of redeemed humanity that will also be at enmity with Satan. They will believe God, they love God, they trust God, and they will hate Satan. Your offspring, your seed, Satan, unbelievers, her offspring, her seed, will be believers. Your seed, all the depraved, all the unconverted, all the haters of God, her seed will be all the transformed who love God, who hate Satan. And there will be hostility from all of that because out of her will come a redeemed humanity, her seed, who will do the very same thing. And it's interesting, if you take that word seed and you follow it along through the Old Testament, you can do a fantastic study about that following that seed and seeing where it leads to. But it gets better because look here at verse 15 again. The end of verse 15, it mentions her offspring, her seed, and the woman in between your offspring and her offspring or her seed. And then the pronoun, I love this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's referring to an individual, he. It's very interesting about this. Why? 
because God is speaking here of the seed of a woman who will be a man. This is the only place in the Bible where it talks about the seed of a woman. Now, hopefully all of us in here are adults so we understand how humanity works. Hopefully we've all been through biology and we understand that it takes a man and a woman, right? To make a child, right? Hopefully we understand that, okay? You don't, you don't make a child from two men or two women, right? Okay, between one man and one woman, okay? God here is telling us something interesting because he's saying the seed of a woman. Now, where does the seed of a human being actually come from? Does it come from the man or does it come from the woman? It comes from the man, all throughout the rest of Scripture, we find it that it talks about the seed of man, the seed of man, the seed of man, the seed of man. But here in Genesis 3.15, we see and it says, the seed of a woman, and he will come out, coming out from the seed of a woman. Now, what do you think that that's referring to? The virgin birth of Christ that Christ would actually come from a woman without the need of the seed of a man. Boy, that's amazing. That's amazing that we see this. What hope that that brings, that fact that Christ is virgin born. In fact, if you do a little study on the lineage of Christ, you can trace that seed all the way back to Eve. That's exactly what uh, the Gospel of Matthew teaches us. Clearly, that is what Isaiah 7, 14 tells us, that he was gonna be born of a virgin. Paul said it this way in Galatians 3, 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and two seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. So there will be enmity towards Satan from a transformed, redeemed humanity. And there will be one man who comes from the seed of a woman who will destroy Satan. And this leads us to this second point here. Secondly, God provides a redeemer. Look here again at verse number 15. Look what it says here at the latter part of the verse. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Other translations read about being the crushing of the head and you will bruise him on the heel. And so Jesus Christ will deal a crushing blow to Satan. Growing up in New Mexico, we had uh, rattlesnakes, a lot of rattlesnakes. We used to dig holes and play in them and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we had these fake snakes Rubber snakes. How many of you guys ever had any of those, right? The big, long rubber snakes, right? Okay. Put them in the refrigerator. Ah, what's that? You know, and all that kind of stuff. So we had these rubber snakes, and we left our toys out, laying out in the yard, just like anybody else does. And uh, my dad came home one day. He was driving the truck, and what he thought was these rubber snakes. And he called, ah, kids, what is that? Yeah, pick up all this Stuff, what is all, and he goes down to reach to pick up that, what he thought was a rubber snake, and all of a sudden, whoa, this is real. 
And then we saw our dad out there in the front yard with a shovel, <laughs> trying to crush the head of that snake. So here's the picture here. This is what he's saying. He's saying that Christ will deal and deliver a crushing blow. He will crush the head of Satan. And so the heel of this seed of the woman will be bruised. That's an attack from the rear, coming back. And it doesn't provide that much uh, damage, but a bruise on the heel is a minor thing. But a blow to the head, I mean, if you crush somebody's head, you're dead. It's over. And so Satan was engaged in this bruising of the Son of God. It tells us here in Isaiah, it says that he was bruised for our iniquities, right? And Satan bruised him at the cross, but only minor bruises, because guess what? Did Christ stay dead? No. He resurrected from the grave, and he delivered a crushing blow to Satan. And he's saying, Satan, your time's coming. Your time's coming. It's going to be over. He says he will deal a, a crushing blow to you. You see, we can totally see from this verse the cross and the great payment that Jesus would provide for man. Do you see it there in Genesis 3.15? Do you see it? You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so we see in this chapter, Christ as the redeemer, the one who will go to the cross, receiving this bruising of his heel, but in being bruised, he will crush the head of Satan. What a victory. What does that mean for you as a believer in Christ, if you know Christ? That means Satan has been defeated, guys. That means you do not have to listen and follow him. He's defeated. It's done. It's over. We need not live in fear. We need not live under the bondage of slavery because it's been done. You want to know what's fascinating? These two verses here, verses 14 and 15, I love this. Now, don't miss this because I think if you miss this, you're going to miss the entire understanding of what the gospel really is. In verses 14 and 15, who is he mainly talking to here? talking to Satan. And he is delivering a message of judgment upon Satan. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be crushed. I'm going to provide a redeemer. I'm going to provide a way of hope. And he says, it's over. Now, what about Eve? What about Adam? What about their judgment? Well, he actually doesn't deal with their judgment here until verse 16, he says to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Verse 17, he says, because you listened to your wife, you eaten of the tree. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, verse 19, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so before God even lays out the price that men are going to pay and the price that women are going to pay, he shows them hope, mercy, grace, salvation, and good news, even before he pronounces judgment 
upon them. What an amazing God that we have. The fact that even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of their sin and knowing what they've done, he provides salvation and hope for them even before he tells them of everything that's gonna happen to them. And you know, that's just the way that God works. God is so merciful and gracious to us. He loves us. He cares about us. I mean, that's exactly what Romans teaches, right? It tells us about Christ that even though while yet we were a sinner, Christ died for us. Even though we were without knowledge of who Christ was and the fact that we were sinning and we were in disobedience and rebellion against God, Christ died for us. And what an amazing savior that we really have. And the fact that Christ has done all of these things for us. And why would God do that? Because by because God by nature is a gracious, merciful, compassionate, forgiving God. And so what an amazing God that we serve. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.